Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Brian Lehrer's Daily Politics Podcast from WNYC Studios. It's Friday, February 2nd. I'm Bridget Bergen, senior reporter in the WNYC and Gothamist newsroom, filling in for Brian today. Happy Groundhog Day to all who celebrate. Senators called on the CEOs of five major tech platforms to testify before them on the issue of child safety online this week. Featuring testimony from the bosses of Meta, the parent company of Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, Discord, and X, formerly known as Twitter, the scene was what some of us have come to expect from these high-profile hearings. Senators grilled these tech giants on the lack of transparency when it comes to social media and the harm it could potentially cause kids, but this time they focused pointedly on child sexual exploitation. To add to the highly charged atmosphere, survivors of exploitation and family members of victims were in the audience. Here is Senator Dick Durbin with his opening remarks referencing something called CSAM, which stands for Child Sexual Abuse Material. Discord has been used to groom, abduct, and abuse children. Meta's Instagram helped connect and promote a network of pedophiles. Snapchat's disappearing messages have been co-opted by criminals who financially extort young victims. TikTok has become a, quote, platform of choice for predators to access, engage, and groom children for abuse. And the prevalence of CSAM on X has grown as the company has gutted its trust and safety workforce. And while some lines of questioning from senators might have looked like grandstanding, the political reality is sobering. Congress has tried and failed for years to overturn a 1996 law which gives online service providers broad immunity from lawsuits over their users' posts. Joining us now to explain that law and offer analysis of Wednesday's hearing is well is Will Aremis, technology reporter at The Washington Post. Will, welcome back to WNYC. Thanks for having me. And we're going to get into the specifics, but first, I want to reflect a bit on who was sitting before the senators on the dais and how you characterize the hearing overall. This was the latest in a string of hearings where tech executives have been called to testify by Congress. As you mentioned, it gives lawmakers a chance to grandstand. They can also ask questions and get answers to things that might be hard to get answers to in other contexts. This hearing was unique in that uh, there were families of victims and there were survivors of sexual exploitation in the audience. In fact, many of them were arranged right behind the CEOs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there was an emotionally charged atmosphere that made it hard for anyone to be dismissive of the existence of the problem, regardless of how they felt about various efforts to solve it. Sure. Uh, You write about how, from the start, senators of both parties focused their criticism on on the law that Congress passed in 1996, a law that paved the way for social media as we know it. Can you tell us more about this statute, the so-called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act? Yeah, so back in 1996, this is the era of AOL and Motorola flip phones. 
uh, social media as we know it didn't exist. There were starting to be online forums, uh, you know, on on internet service providers like CompuServe and Prodigy, where people could go and and have chats on various topics or read news updates or that kind of thing. Uh, at the time, Congress was passing a big telecom bill, and as part of that telecom bill, there was there was rising concern uh, among lawmakers of both parties, maybe especially on the right, the prevalence of pornography online. And there was concern that kids would be able to get access to that pornography. I mean, you know, again, it's a, it, to go back to that time, I mean, this is mm. a time when there would be like, you know, in a convenience store, there would be Playboy magazines on the top shelf with a wrapper over them. Uh, sure. And and all of a sudden, there's this this new technology where anyone can log on and there's uh, there's pornography. There's all kinds of stuff on there. And they were concerned about that. And they were concerned particularly about kids getting access to it. And so uh, as part of that Telecom Act, they came up with something called the Communications Decency Act. And this act, a lot of it has been has been mostly forgotten, but it actually was aimed at protecting kids, at least nominally. And what it did was uh, it criminalized the transmission, the knowing transmission to children of uh, pornographic uh, or, or other uh, lewd material on the internet. Um, now, most of that law was mm -hmm. struck down the next year by the Supreme Court as mm -hmm. uh, as violating the First Amendment. There was, uh, they found that there was no way to enforce it without also chilling all kinds of legitimate speech. Um, but one little obscure section of it uh, survived, and that was called Section 230. <laughs> and this was uh, a section that tried to address a problem where that was that was arising, where there, when someone would post something online that was libelous, uh, right, or something that violated the law, something that uh, ruined someone's reputation unfairly, there would be a lawsuit. And the person suing would sue not only the person who posted it, but they would sue the platform that hosted it, right? They would sue Prodigy, right. or they would sue AOL or CompuServe and say, hey, look, you published this libelous material. Uh, just the same way you would sue, you know, maybe a book publisher if they published a book that that included libel about you. And courts were conflicted over whether the online service providers should be treated as the publisher of that material or not. Should they be held accountable for the libel as well? Uh, and and so they the lawmakers came up with this section that said that the online service provider will not be treated as the publisher or speaker of material that their users post hmm. uh, in most cases. And and that's true whether they moderate the material or whether they choose not to moderate. Either way, they're not going to be held liable. Now, that has been the lasting legacy of the 1996 Communications Decency Act because that, that part didn't get struck down by the courts. And the result has been that whenever you try to sue an online platform for something their user posts, they're gonna, they're gonna say, look, Section 230 pr pr protects us. You can't sue us for this. We're not, you can't even take us to court over it. And so that has enabled the rise of social media. It has enabled companies like Facebook um, and Snap and Discord, the companies at this hearing, to exist and to get huge because they, generally speaking, with some exceptions, they're not really responsible wow. for hosting all kinds of harmful content. But Will, and, and you know, you made this clear that, you know, this statute is the, the legacy of this act, uh, but it's not to say that it hasn't been challenged before, <clears throat> excuse me, not to mention some legislative pushes, even an executive order by President Donald Trump. Can you tell us briefly what kinds of challenges it has survived and whether that's unusual in any way? 
Yeah, so it had survived challenges from the very start. There's a great book on this by uh, Jeff Kossoff uh, called uh, called the 26 words that created the internet, um, referring to the to the the 26 the key 26 words in section 230. Wow. Um, I mean, there section 230 has lots of fans. You know, people who believe that that social media wouldn't wouldn't be able to exist. These fledgling online forums would have been snuffed out because they would have had to be defending themselves all the time against all kinds of lawsuits. I mean, can you imagine if Facebook had was able to be held liable in court for everything its users post? It would just be it would just be in court all the time, right? And so uh, Section 230 has a lot of backers, particularly in the tech industry, in the social media industry. Uh, but over the years, it has also acquired a lot of critics and 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 so it has survived uh, challenges in court. It has survived uh, in, in 2018. There was actually a law created that carved out a certain type of material from Section 230 protection, and that was called SESTA-FOSTA. This law said that if, if it's material related to facilitating sex trafficking in particular, then those Section 230 protections in many cases won't apply. You won't you won't get to say as a platform uh, that that oh well you can't take me to court uh, for hosting sex trafficking. Um, you can still say that for other stuff, but not sex trafficking. So uh, and then in 2020, let's see, in 2020, I believe uh, I'm going <laughs> to get the year wrong. President Trump uh, started attacking Section 230. He was upset about it for a different reason. Um, he was upset at the power that social media companies have acquired to moderate content. In particular, he was upset that Twitter fact-checked, applied a fact-checking label to one of his tweets. Um, and he felt that these, these social media companies have too much power to decide what people can and can't post online. Uh, because again, Section 230 protects their ability to moderate sure. uh, content as well. And so he said he, he tried to um, pass an executive order. He tried to withhold um, uh, approval from a defense bill. Uh, if they didn't, if if there wasn't a weakening of Section 230. Now, um, Biden undid that executive order, but even President Biden has expressed skepticism about whether Section 230 has has gone too far. Has it been too widely applied to say that tech platforms are are basically not responsible for anything, um, and, and should that be revisited? Hmm. Uh, Will you also write about how m- much of the hearing? was focused on social media as a dangerous gateway to child sexual exploitation. And I should note that other senators mentioned bullying, the promotion of self-harm and eating disorders, as well as a means for kids to buy drugs online. And the big problem senators were trying to address is that these companies aren't focused, excuse me, are not forced to disclose the data on potential harm. Did the hearing get any answers out of these tech CEOs about what data they're willing to provide? Not exactly. And I should note that for anyone who's watched one of these hearings, there are a lot of questions and there are are fewer real answers, both because the tech CEOs uh, have an incentive to evade answers, but also because sometimes the the lawmakers uh, will get very worked up and ask a question and not even give the CEO time to answer because what they really (laughs) want to do is be seen asking the question. They don't actually care what the response is. So I wouldn't say we got a ton of of enlightening answers, but what we do get, um, you know, for one thing, even before the hearing started, are what Senator Dick Durbin uh, Riley referred to as 
deathbed conversions where companies will suddenly uh, introduce new policies aimed at protecting children or uh, SNAP, for instance, decided to endorse uh, one of the major bills around kids safety online called the Kids Online Safety Act in the week before the hearing. They're trying to have they want to have something to talk about, something to point to when their CEO goes up there to say, look, we are doing something. We do care. Uh, We're working on it. You don't have to you know, do something drastic like repealing Section 230, we're, we're, we're going to partner with you on this. There was a line of questioning from Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota and how tough it, it is for parents to monitor their children's social media use. And in response, Meta's Mark Zuckerberg talked about how the onus shouldn't be on the social media companies, but on the tech companies that control the apps in the first place. Let's listen to about a minute of their exchange. I don't think that parents should have to upload an ID or prove that they're the parent of a, of a child in every single app that their children use. I think the right place to do this, and a place where it'd be actually very easy for it to work, is within the app stores themselves. Where my understanding is Apple and Google already, or at least Apple, already requires parental consent when a child does a payment with an app. So it should be pretty trivial to pass a law that requires them uh, to make it so that parents have control any time a child downloads an app um, and, and, and offers consent of that. Um, and, and the research that we've, that we've done shows that the vast majority of parents want that. Um, and I think that that's the type of, of, of uh, legislation, in addition to some of the other ideas that you all have, that would make this a lot easier yeah. for parents. I just, just to be clear, I remember one mom telling me, with all these things she could maybe do that she can't figure out, it's like a faucet overflowing in a sink, and she's out there with a mop while her kids are getting addicted to more and more different apps and being exposed to material. We've got to make this simpler for parents so they can protect their kids, and I just don't think this is going to be the way to do it. Will, uh, what point do you think Zuckerberg was making in this case, and is he just basically kicking the can down the road or, or shifting blame to someone else, or, or is there some validity there to, to what he's suggesting? It's both. Um, So there are a number of different bills on the table to address this. So we're at the point where pretty much everybody agrees that that, you know, social media can be harmful to kids and that maybe something needs to be done to better protect kids online. And the question is, what is what is it that we're going to do and how are we going to make sure that it actually protects kids, first of all, and that second of all, it doesn't end up doing more harm than good in the long run. And so one of the proposals that's on the table is something called age verification, where you require in some way that that apps make sure that someone is uh, 18 or over if they're gonna you know, target them with ads or, or targeted recommendations. Um, maybe you make sure that they're between 13 and 17 if they wanna use the app at all, and then there'll, there'll be certain restrictions uh, if a kid is, is a teenager of that age. And then you wanna make absolutely sure that nobody under 13 is using the app. So that, so, but then the question is, how do you verify their age? I mean, one of the things, one of the amazing things about the internet from the start has been the possibility of anonymity. There's that classic New Yorker cartoon, uh, which is like on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, so on the internet, nobody knows if you're 12. Um, and so a lot of lawmakers would like to see that changed. Well, okay, so how do we do that? 
one of the ideas is to require the apps themselves. So like Facebook is an app, Snapchat is an app um, to, to make sure that all of their users are 13 and up in some form, maybe require their parents to upload some kind of ID. I mean, it gets it starts to get invasive pretty quickly uh, when you think about how do you how do you ensure beyond just, you know, asking them to check a box that says I'm over 13. Sure. How do you make sure they're telling the truth? Um, what Mark Zuckerberg is saying here is that he thinks that instead of the apps like his apps, Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, having this responsibility, how about we make the 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 mobile platform? So Apple's iOS should already know a lot about its users. Why don't we make Apple be the one who has to ensure that a user is thir- you know 13 or up to use certain apps or or that they're 18 or over to use other apps? Why don't we make Google when you know they own the Android platform? Wouldn't that be a lot simpler? So that's his suggestion. And, and there is some validity to it. And you know, in some ways, it might be simpler. It also is absolutely shifting the blame. Sure. Well, in one of the most extraordinary moments, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg, of course, as we've mentioned, that's the company that owns Instagram and Facebook, apologized to victims and families present with after a lot of pressure from Republican Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. I want to take a listen to a clip that's a bit hard to hear at some points, but definitely worth listening to. Senator Hawley speaks first. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? I, 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 I'm sorry for everything that you've all been through. No one should have to go through the things that your families have, have suffered. And this is why we invested so much and are going to continue doing industry big efforts to, uh, to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had to suffer. And if that was a little hard for anyone to catch, Zuckerberg begins with, I'm sorry for everything you've had, uh, you've all been through. No one should have to go through things uh, that your families have suffered. And this is why we've invested so much. Will, you want to just reflect on that moment a little bit and what it made you think of? Yeah, this was, you know, for one thing, Mark Zuckerberg has has come a long way uh, from the CEO who is often described as robotic uh, in his in his younger days. Uh, He he under intense questioning from from Senator Hawley uh, and it was a heated exchange at times. He seems to have made the call. I don't know if it was premeditated to, to get up and turn around and face those parents and and make that acknowledgement of what they've gone through. I don't know if I would quite call it a real apology because he didn't he didn't accept responsibility. And in the next beat after that clip, he says, you know, and that's why we at Meta have all these industry leading efforts to protect uh, kids online. Part of the context for this was that there was a, a complaint a legal complaint in Massachusetts that was unredacted in November that alleged that some of Meta's other top executives, uh, including Adam Masseri, who runs Instagram, and Nick Clegg, their communication, their global affairs president, had urged Zuckerberg to take some more actions to to get ahead of this issue, uh, devote more staff and resources to addressing bullying, harassment, suicide prevention, and that Zuckerberg had ignored them and pushed them off and and basically failed to prioritize it. And so uh, that's that's part of why he was he was getting grilled at this hearing over these issues. Hmm. Do, do you think, you know, it seems like media companies and your re- reaction, at least online, has been that there was some admission of guilt on the part of Zuckerberg. Do you think there are, is potential for any lasting implications? 
Well, again, I think where the rubber meets the road here is is in the actual legislation. Is any of it going to pass? And if it does, what will the practical effects be? So one of the key laws that's under discussion is called the Kids Online Safety Act. This would impose on online platforms uh, something called a duty of care. Basically, it would say that they have to take reasonable measures to uh, protect kids from uh, stuff like uh, content that encourages eating disorders, um, content that's trying to uh, sell them drugs or, or tobacco, uh, sexual exploitation. Um, this has been this has gained bipartisan support, uh, and it is seems to be marching along. And yet there are critics who worry that it is too vague. Hmm. And uh, there are, are critics who say that, um, you know, this could be used to to chill all kinds of legitimate expression. In particular, some people on the left are very concerned that one of the bill's co-sponsors, Senator Marsha Blackburn, a Republican of Tennessee, ha- has said that that part of her goal with this bill is to protect kids from being exposed to uh, material about gender identity. Uh, you know, there are some on the right who equate uh, uh, discussions of gender identity with with sexual grooming and sexual exploitation. And so, you know, is that going to be a way for that agenda to get forced into law? And and not only that, but but to dictate how social media companies behave and the type of material they filter. So it's it's controversial. It also enjoys a lot of support. There are other provisions in the law, like uh, requiring them to do certain types of filtering for, for kids between 13 and 17. Um, so that's one of the big ones. Uh, there are a few others on the table, including ones that that tackle parts of Section 230, that, that statute we talked about earlier, that indemnifies tech companies from all so, sorts of liability. Well, I want to read uh, a text from one listener before we wrap up here. Uh, This listener writes, parent of a 13-year-old here, Apple provides very little help to parents controlling their kids' use. My daughter doesn't have any social media apps but loves YouTube and would watch videos 24 hours a day if she could. Apple lets parents disable apps during certain hours but won't let you shut down Safari, which is their internet um, service provider, which is ridiculous. Uh, So more concerns from parents on the challenge of trying to um, limit kids' access to these tools. Um, just in our, our last minute, Will, we've mentioned a bunch of pieces of legislation that could have an impact on these social media companies. Um, anything in particular we should be watching going forward? Yeah, I think one of the big one of the big debates this will come down to is the debate between uh, safety and privacy. So a lot of the measures that would potentially make kids safer online would also require a lot more invasive monitoring by tech companies. And so they weren't there at this hearing, but the privacy advocates are going to come out of the woodwork. And so one of the questions is, should you be able to have encrypted messaging platforms such that nobody, including law enforcement, can tell what's happening on there? And Apple's iMessage is one of these. Um, Or should that not be allowed because that creates a haven for these types of horrible sexual exploitation? Uh, I think that's going to be one of the key real debates that, that this comes down to. We're going to leave it there for now. My guest has been Washington Post technology reporter Will Remus, and we've been talking about this week's Senate hearing with big tech CEOs. Will, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. 
Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.